Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Welcome to Minisode 70 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As always, I am your old pal, Andy Stewart, a man not alone. You've been They're back. We're in the same room again. Yes, for the first Minisode in, I believe, three weeks. Uh, we had three weeks in a row that were uh, Skypers, I believe. Yeah, uh, so we're back. I am Mitch Bain. I'm a laps horror writer. I'm an occasional doer of musical things, and I've clambered out from the walls. The crowd goes wild. How are you, my friend? I'm okay. Just heading this off quickly. Uh, there might be some background noise because we are sequestered away in the midst of a baby shower. Yes, a baby shower is happening literally in the next room. Yeah, so there might be some hooting, there might be some hollering, and uh, yeah, apologies if it registers. Things are threatening to get rowdy, so we'll just have to see how we do. <laughs> well, they are playing bingo, so... Yeah, it's true. Could escalate at any moment. <laughs> how are you, my friend? I am well, sir, and yourself? I am good. I believe that of the two of us, you've been doing the bulk of the viewing this well, week. Well, I haven't. I mean, I've watched a couple of things. Well, that still means you've been doing the bulk of it, because I haven't watched very much. All oh, right. okay, okay. Well, uh, yeah, do you want me to start? Yeah, by all means. Cool, so I checked out... Uh, the Banana Splits movie. Okay, okay. So, uh, this played at Fright Fest. This is generally available now, is that right? It is indeed, yes. Okay, yeah, cool. You can pick it up, you can you can get it. I was sorry to miss this at Fright Fest. It clashed with something that I really wanted to see. Um, the trailer for this looked really funny. Uh, I mean, do you know what? I mean, it's directed by Danishka Esterhazy, who did uh, Level 16. Really? Yeah, yeah. It couldn't be more different to that. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. That's so strange. Yeah. I knew I knew that name when you said it. Level 16. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, presumably a, a slightly less austere affair. That's fair to say. Yeah, yeah. It's the story of uh, a kid and his mum, and for his birthday, the mum takes him to a live recording of the Banana Splits show. Okay. And in the midst of all of this, the the show, or the the, uh, the splits themselves, shall we say, have learned that the show is going to be cancelled. Right. Um, but the splits in this case, while they look like uh, men in big suits, they are in fact robots. <laughs> and okay. they don't take the cancellation of their show all that well, and they go, kind of set off on a bloody murder spree. Right, this sounds excellent. How is it? Um, do you know what? It's okay. Yeah? I'm amazed that it exists. You mean you're amazed that this child's programme got a gritty film adaptation that is a horror film? Exactly that. Yes, exactly I, I am that. also surprised by that. Yeah, I, I can't, it's like, if, it's like if they made a really violent version of Bagpuss. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't quite understand how it exists, but it, it's cool that it does and it's cool that it's out there. And I, I had a lot of fun with it. I, yep. I thought it was fun. Cool, cool, yeah. good, good. I preferred it to child's play. Yeah, I've had dental procedures that I preferred to the new child's play. Ooh, <laughs> so bitchy. Spicy. Um, Spicy boy. <laughs> anything else? Uh, yeah, uh, and this is one that I think bears uh, some talking about, if I'm honest. Okay. I checked out Fred Durst's The Fanatic. Oh. Yeah. Right, okay. So, this has been doing the rounds. Um, uh, <laughs> it sure has. On social yeah, media. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so my understanding of this is that you have a obsessive fan character played by John Travolta. 
<laughs> who is obsessed with an actor who's played by Final Destination's Devin Sawa, right? Also correct. Okay, yes, so you're, a, you're 100% here. Stopping short of the kind of uh, the behind the scenes and like stills that you've seen of John Travolta in his Hawaiian shirt with his bowl cut and his glasses, and the fact that Fred Durst directed this, I know nothing else about it. So over to you. <laughs> um, this film is wild. Okay. Is it good? No, it's not. It's not a good film. Um, again, it's one of the, I don't know how it exists, but you know, I, I will recommend everyone watch it. Um, John Travolta here is making some bold decisions as a, a as an actor here. Okay, okay. Um, you know, in Tropic Thunder, when they say that you shouldn't go full retard. Yes. John Travolta has obviously not seen Tropic Thunder and does not subscribe to that theory. I see. This. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure John Travolta is the right person for this role. Okay. Um, I'm also not convinced that anyone would be. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's a whole other discussion. Yeah, okay. I think what he's supposed to be is autistic, but if that's the case, it's an extremely poorly handled representation of autism. Okay. Um, If he's supposed to be just kind of slow-witted and mentally challenged, then it's an extremely bad taste portrayal of someone with learning difficulties. I'd say a fairly damning indictment if you're like, I'm not sure what it is that they're going for here, but whatever it is, they've done it wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I can see the point. I can see why, but I, I, I don't see how a, a John Travolta, a 65-year-old man, is the right person for this character. Um, on a technical level, there's not a massive amount wrong. There was one moment where I just kept laughing at the way it was edited. Like, right, I couldn't, okay. couldn't stop myself. But it was such a... I, I don't even know what to make of it, to be honest. It's, I, I really need you to watch it. I mean, I would really like to. What I would say is, like, I... I, I don't know if he's made any other films apart from this and this one, but like, have you seen Fred Durst's direct, well, I'm saying directorial debut, have you seen the Fred Durst directed film The Education of Charlie Banks? No. So I have seen that, and um, it was an early role for Jesse Eisenberg. Actually. Right, okay. And what it is, is this technically reasonably proficient and perfectly adequate drama. Right. Like, I don't really have too much more to say about it than that. It's perfectly watchable. It's fine. So when I heard he was doing another one, I was like, oh, you know, this might be okay. You know, yeah. like, 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 mm-hmm. um, and then when I started reading things about it or seeing more about it, I was like, mm, maybe not. I couldn't get away with John Travolta's performance in this at all. I had a really hard time with it. Right. Okay. Did that doom it for you? I, because I watched the majority of it through my fingers. Okay. That says a lot. cringing into myself because mm-hmm. I'm sat here trying to talk about it and it's just, I'm remembering exactly how terrible it is. And it's one of the maddest performances I've seen in a long time. But it's an absolutely committed performance, and I, I I can't really say much more about it than that. Okay. Um, the film later on though tries to do some weird stuff. It tries to kind of edge and a twist, and it uh, it goes into some pretty gory territory right towards the end. Oh, weird. Okay. But uh, it's such a weird experience. Uh, like I say, I would urge everyone to watch it. If nothing else, just so you have people to talk about. It yeah, with. yeah, yeah. And if nothing <laughs> else, uh, to increase i suppose the money that it makes because it famously made what like three and a half grand at the cinema or something it like that. really <laughs> did do like kind of historically poorly yeah apparently it's his yeah. worst performing film of all time john travolta's that does not surprise me necessarily no, no. Mm. wow okay yeah that says a lot apparently in fact i think it was, i read somewhere it was his, like his last four films or something like that have been the four lowest grossing or worst performing films of his entire career really yeah yeah, yeah. And that's wow. including things like gotti in there and all that like Oh yeah, that's on Netflix now, isn't it? I want to see Gotti. <laughs> Apparently it's dog shit as well. Yes, it's another one actually that's notoriously bad. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, The Fanatic, uh, it's out there. It's so windy in here. We're under attack from all sorts of external sounds this week. <laughs> but yeah, The Fanatic, it's out there. It's available. Um, and if you could stomach it, 
<laughs> then uh, by all means getting about it because it's it's mind boggling. It's an, yeah, it's absolutely an experience, and it's if you want to see, I would say one of the biggest actors in the world, at John Travolta, <laughs> doing something that will blow your goddamn mind. Check it out. Okay, I mean I'm gonna. Yeah, like there's no version of this, but I don't watch it. Man. You can, yeah. and you can. No, I'm definitely gonna. Uh, anything else? Uh, no, that's really it. Okay. Um, so anyone that was listening last week that was paying attention during the chat about the streaming platforms will know that uh, something got added to Netflix this week, a Netflix original called Hellfest. Yeah. Which I watched this week. Okay, how was um, that? So what you have with Hellfest is this group of kind of young people who get stalked by a serial killer as they make their way through this like hell-themed theme park. So... It's nothing special. It's like, uh, it's kind of precisely what you'd expect it to be. I, I would say nothing about it is going to particularly surprise you. Performance-wise, it's okay. There is like, there are two of them that are kind of getting pushed as kind of like the film's love story. Right. And there's some pretty decent chemistry between those two and their stuff's watchable. There's a couple of really good kills in it, but it's not tantamount to being a particularly good film. Also, I would say that the timing of this coming out is unfortunate on account of the fact that Haunt is a film that exists. So I saw Haunt at Fright Fest, right, which okay, is right. from, uh, directed and written by the writers of A Quiet Place. Yeah, and produced by Eli Roth. I believe that's true, yeah. And that has, it's not an identical conceit, but it's similar enough that you can't get it out of your head while you're watching this one. Yeah. And uh, whereas I think that like where Hellfest is uh, this kind of fairly limp version of this... <laughs> <laughs> and Haunt really commits to it, goes in some really surprising directions, has some really cool visuals, some really great set pieces and stuff like that. I think that Hellfest is a perfectly passable distraction for an evening, but it is rendered almost completely null and void in 2019 by the existence of Haunt, I would say. Wow, okay. Uh, nullified. Yes, Excellent. I would say so. I would say so. I, I, there's no need for both of them to exist. <laughs> so. Did I ever? Yeah, it finally happened, ladies and gentlemen. It finally happened. Moments before we hit record on this recording, we got to uh, the conclusion of Cannibal Holocaust. Now, we've been talking about me watching this for ages. This was kind of a file alongside audition in that I kind of had been kind of mentally putting it off. And then I just, and then there was times where I was going to watch it as well. And yeah. I put it off because you wanted to watch it with me. Yes, I did. So, Cannibal Holocaust, 1980. Um, again, not much new to say about this. But what I would say is that every time that I've previously said that a film feels grimy, maybe I feel like a new standard's been set for that. Yeah, I mean, Cannibal Holocaust is one in the bars, I think, in cinema for a grimy film experience. Yeah, it, in general, kind of like a taste yardstick, I think. Oh, uh, I, in, uh, in, in, yeah. in a lot of ways there's a lot of things about this that are obviously really kind of bothersome now <laughs> sure um, yeah. and probably were back then as well you know like some of the animal cruelty stuff and things like that is really there's a lot of sexual violence there's a lot of sexual violence as well it's, it's, like, it's really really fucking horrible stuff but I didn't necessarily know what to expect going in I think I expected this to be more of a kind of like relentless misery fest which it is oh sure yeah. but I did I think it did surprise me how much of a story and how narratively complex and how structurally complex it is. Yeah, it's actually a film that's pretty clever in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's got a lot to say and I think uh, and I think given today's kind of fake news climate, it's actually quite prescient. Yeah, when you get into the second half of it, I agree. I can see where you, I can see where that would come from. I can see that you'd make that observation. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say that I liked it. I'm not going to say that I'm ever going to watch it again, but I'm really glad that I've seen it. I kind of feel like, again, that a guy in 2019 telling you that Cannibal Holocaust is necessary viewing but yeah it is mm -hmm. but yeah i mean it's not the kind of film you're going to rush back to view most times anyway 
No, it's it's not going to be like it's not going to be like a comfort have on in the background while you're doing something else film in years to come. Yeah, and if that is the case, then you should probably see someone. That's true. If you're watching Cannibal Holocaust on the reg because it makes you feel cozy and fluffy and warm. Yeah, it's like a relaxation movie. No, yeah, uh, yeah. like I say, it is great. I mean, like uh, it's super unpleasant, but I'm really glad I've seen it. And again, like yeah, just creeping in on the end of the shot waves 100. Yeah, the um, end is in sight. I'm glad you watched Cannibal Holocaust, and I'm glad I got to watch it with you. Yeah, um, I mean, like you said, yeah, you saw my reaction to some of the stuff. Uh, I mean, you you had the same exact same reaction I had to watching Hannibal Holocaust for the first time, but it was just twenty five years later or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, deeply unpleasant, but very good. Yeah. So. So uh, they have been sitting a lot. This yeah, week. there's a lot of feedback yeah, this week. Yeah, a lot of feedback this week, so, which is great. Big thank you to everybody who's been getting in touch. And the bulk of it, or a lot of it certainly, um, focusing on Resident Evil, which was, of course, the subject of this past week's episode. And on that subject, big thank you to Mr. Michael Park of Be Quiet Media swinging by <laughs> and uh, talking about that with us in person, which is always nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to actually kick it off here, um, basically with what I believe is also my feelings on how the episode with Michael went. Okay. Uh, this is a tweet coming in from Panda at Prettiest Dunce uh-huh. saying it's a fucking delight to hear Watchfire's Mitch and Andy make stuff have absolute contempt for Resident Evil. He's also adding the caveat because it's fucking garbage. <laughs> um, as poor Be Quiet Michael is trying to defend it. One of my favourite Strong Violet PC episodes. Oh, cool. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm not sure Michael did. No, we did kind of team up on him a little bit. <laughs> I suppose that's true, yeah. Um, uh, Dave Cooper, Deluxe underscore man on Twitter. I hated the Resident Evil film when it came out. I hated the fact it had little to do with the games. I hated Alice and hated the liquors. <laughs> I understand the hate for it. However, if you watch it as a standalone, knowing it's awful, there's some fun to be had with it. Completely agree with you about the ending. It sets up a sequel extremely well. Shame the second was doctored. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lee, uh, Lee underscore Nostromo getting in touch to say... I've never managed not to fall asleep while watching this film, the sequel, and Extinction. So I must congratulate you all on a discussion on this film that didn't make me fall asleep and awaken my own drool. <laughs> Fair play. Chris Salt, Oblong Pictures on Twitter, getting in touch saying, Sounds like Be Quiet Michael needs to do a Jill 6 and keep coming back to do the sequels as well. No. No. Please no. Please no. <laughs> um, appreciate your interest, Chris, but uh, no, I'm going to veto that. I believe actually I'm, uh, we had somebody else who pleaded the exact other way. You know what? You're right, Mitch. Uh, Andre Martins at Callahan getting in touch to say, this might be interesting. Only after Terminator 3 I left the film more pissed off than after this pile of... And please never go the anaconda route trying to talk about the entire franchise. Okay, so and so uh, Andre and Chris can start this out amongst themselves and whatever they decide, <laughs> we can do it. I'm almost 40. I don't want to waste what limited breaths I have left talking much more about the Resident Evil franchise. Life is short. Yeah. Life yeah. is too short, I think, potentially. But yes, thank you for the suggestion. Kim Morrison getting in touch. Resident Evil is a fucking amazing film. It's so fun. How can you not like it? I'm assuming sarcasm. <laughs> Potentially, yeah. Also, but Kim, if that's a legitimate question, then consult. There's 80 minutes of that. <laughs> we answer that question in a very long form yeah, in episodes I, I mean. I uh, respectfully disagree. Yes, same. Andrew Marshall getting in touch at Semi Pro Geek mm-hmm. saying. This week's strong violent PC required I rewatch Resident Evil and risk being ostracised by not only declaring it a half decent movie, but also one I've cited at least three times in articles as proof that video game adaptations can be good films. Wow. For bonus points, I also spent a sleepless night replaying the first Resident Evil game while stoned on painkillers and had a fantastic time being freaked the fuck out like I was 12 years old again. It sounds like this overall experience was very positive for Andrew, so I'm glad it worked out well for someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Much more fun to be found in the video game than in the film, I well, have to say. Mm. 
Uh, Andy McEwen getting in touch on Twitter. Got really cool flashbacks with that soundtrack. Always felt they spent too much time and money on the CGI and left the normal zombies looking like they just ate loads of jam. <laughs> um, some people coming up on the side of Resident Evil here. Oh, yeah? Chelsea Burden on Facebook getting in touch to say, I'm sorry, but Resident Evil does not need defending. The franchise may have taken a long dive off a steep cliff after the first couple of movies, but the original one was quality. Mm. Well... Yeah, yeah. Uh, Saltired Popcorn at Saltired Popcorn getting in touch to say I'm also throwing my hat in the ring as a fan of Resident Evil and many of the sequels except the headache inducing second movie I once counted the edits very few shots lasted more than three seconds Jesus Christ sounds yeah. awful <laughs> Not doing it for you, Mitch. I'm gonna pass on that one. Um, <laughs> you get like anybody else speaking up in defence of it? No, I'm actually out of Resident Evil. Okay, I have a couple uh, things. Andrew, okay. uh, Andrew Pollard, right? Um, new person alert, I believe, at Cultured Left Peg on Twitter, right? Sure. Um, that first movie, not too shabby in my book. Some fun moments, and it's definitely passable enough to be decent. Once you initially got over the fact the movie had only minimal ties to the video games franchise's narrative, uh, which is definitely true. I don't know if I agree. I don't front to back agree with that, but yeah, I think that you probably do have to make your peace with the fact that um, it's got little to nothing to do with uh, the game if you're going to get anywhere with it. The fact that I did that and still didn't get anywhere with it is more on me. <laughs> um, elsewhere, Cosmic Ray Girl. I love Resident Evil. I love, love, love it so much so. Whenever I wear my red dress, I always go for the Mila look happy to watch that film again this week and off the back of that John yeah. McPhail uh, getting in touch Worry and Drake on Twitter they are amazing whenever I used to be hungover on Sundays I used to watch the Resident Evil movies back to back I could fall asleep and wake up and still completely understand all the nonsense that was going on <laughs> by the way I believe Alexis weighed back in she had revisited it I think in a her opinion had changed somewhat from yeah. that particularly exuberant post. <laughs> yeah, she had she walked that back a little bit. Uh, <laughs> as I went on. Tony Lovell also getting in touch on Instagram. It's not bad, but the rest are awful. And uh, back on track, Living, who I believe is our old pal Boz, getting it in is. touch. I bloody love this film. It's nowhere near as dumb as I expected it to be all those years back. With some really decent kills and action sequences, there's a whole lot to like. Mm. How do you know there's decent kills? You don't see any of them. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, they all happen off camera. Yeah, very astute. Uh, that clears me out on uh, Resident Evil. Uh, you got anything else you want to touch on? I do, yeah. I've got something on Hellbent. Oh, nice. Cool. Coming in from Laura Bynan at Bain and LV, mm-hmm. saying, After a great recent episode of Strong Violent PC, I didn't think I'd be disappointed. But Hellbent is definitely an underrated cult film. It gets a lot right, and the tone is spot on. So here's to the first gay slasher. I'll drink to that. I will indeed. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. I, like, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that film. I really enjoyed that chat. So glad Laura did too. Yes. Yeah. I've got a few more things to finish us up. Cool. Um, mm-hmm. So Salter Popcorn, Kevin Matthews, getting in touch on Twitter, flagging something up, an announcement that was made this week. Pretty cool one as well. I just said another one of interest to the Strong Violent PC Massive, and it was a, um, a post from Arrow Video um, announcing that they are handling the UK release of Chelsea Stardust Satanic Panic. Yes, I can't wait to see that. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, you may also remember, Chelsea, from our episode on brain damage on that subject. Dave Cooper got in touch, <laughs> Deluxe underscore man. He did say that he got halfway through the episode and ordered brain damage because he'd never seen it. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, so he got in touch with a doubler, a double tweet affair, oh. saying, I just watched brain damage for the first time. As requested, here's my take. I absolutely loved it. Elmer is a delightful, scene-stealing, blue dick turd monstrosity. <laughs> great effects, great acting all round. Found this to be more entertaining than Frank and Hooker, which I really struggled with. Wow. Tempted to pick up Basket Case now on the strength 
strength of this. Thanks for doing an episode on this. We should pass that on to Chelsea. I'm sure, yeah, she'd be pleased yeah, to know that she's raising awareness. Yeah, that's really nice. Thank you very much, Dave. Yeah, yeah very mm-hmm. cool stuff. Um, just one more from me before we finish up, and uh, that is uh, Darren Gaskell on The Ghost and the Darkness. Graham Hughes' episode from a couple of weeks yeah. back. Yeah. Um, I was listening to this on the long journey back home, and my fellow passengers had to endure me laughing for a really long time, especially the conversation about the bird related jump scares, which led to the fucking elderly cunt comment from. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Loads of people getting a laugh out of those moments, I think, which is nice. Yes, Good. I'm glad that my good. misery was your pleasure. That clears me out with some obvious exceptions. Yeah, and just before I come on to screaming that particular uh, segue, I-, I noticed that yesterday the lineup for Celluloid Screams was announced. Was it ever? Yeah, and it's an absolute corker. We will be talking about it in more detail down the line. Yeah, watch the space. But uh, yeah, great to see such a strong lineup again from a- the guys. Absolute Titan. Rob and Polly absolutely are doing themselves. Crush, once again crushing it yeah but yeah we will, we will get into that a little bit more down the line so uh watch the space for that yeah and more so so it's once again time for mitch's pitches mitch's pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment while we're recording andy will send a picture to my phone it will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by he will have photoshopped out the title the tagline any identifying text he will leave only the image it will be on me to describe the image to the best of my ability and to give it a title and a synopsis so correct yes uh last week the dunwich horror Correct, yeah, well done, well remembered. You're Thanks. getting good at this. I'm getting a little better, and uh, yeah. that was reappropriated by me as the Curse of Snake Fist 3 Boa to be a star. <laughs> uh, now, if you haven't seen this image yet, it's all on our social media, as well this week's one. Um, True. Yep. But, yeah, if you want it, because this is not going to make a ton of sense if you don't do that. But a bunch of people have been getting in touch with pitches of their own, and the standard, once again... Pretty high? Incredibly high. Wow. So, Andrew Marshall... Okay. Semi-pro geek on Twitter. Artist Kate falls asleep in a sinister funhouse where a warlock cursed with Medusa locks shaves her head to transfer the reptilian hair. This can only be prevented by her awakening and creating an image in the funhouse mirror of each reptilian being liquefied into oblivion. Wow. All of this makes 1972's Bad Hair Day a bare hair scare of a rare <laughs> fair from a funfair lair where to escape, Kate must wake to make a fake take of a drake and snake shake. <laughs> I love when people rhyme. So strong. I love when people rhyme. It's like Dr. Zeus doing a Mitch's pitch. So strong. <laughs> exactly. Um, Sheridan Knott, I'd not say on Twitter, oh my God, it's a 1967 classic, Darling, my honeypot is haunted. <laughs> um, Laura, Ben and LV, Audrey thought her first visit to the gender clinic was slightly unusual in 1967's Glen or Cthulhu. <laughs> Chris Salt, Oblong Pictures on Twitter. (laughs) On a trip to a remote island off the coast of Borneo, unscrupulous explorer Alan Condor (laughs) steals a small carved idol from a village shrine. He doesn't exist in Borneo. (laughs) Excellent. Steals a small carved idol from a village shrine. Furious, the villagers call down the wrath of their giant snake god, Mabobi, (laughs) and place a curse on him. Back home in London, he begins to suffer strange headaches and mood swings until one night actual giant snakes erupt from his head. Thus begins a nightmarish reign of terror as, under the demonic influence of Mabobi, <laughs> he leaves a trail of mutilated corpses across the city. Yes, it's culturally insensitive 1974 shocker, Snakes on a Brain. <laughs> Enjoying that very much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, salted popcorn and Twitter, thick and fast. They're all so good. Honestly, a deranged pervert, Ivor Winkle. 
played by Scott's actor Donald Mulligatoni, ties snakes to his hair and wanders around the city in a silver spacesuit, pausing every now and again to expose himself to startled women in 1983's bizarre psychological thriller Flash Gorgon. <laughs> That's fucking amazing. It's great, isn't it? At Gorehound Zombies Lou, itchy flaky scalps were at an all-time high, but radioactive ingredients were not the solution. Head and shoulders have a lot to answer for in 1972's Medusa Seducer Producer. <laughs> Wash and let the blood flow. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. These are amazing. Lauren McIntyre, after being cursed by rogue member of the Illuminati, Kurt Sandway, dairy owner Zola finds herself turning into a snake-headed monster. See where this is going. Yeah, I can. Can she yeah. and partner in... in <laughs> can she and partner in cream, Rick Otter, find a way to stop the curse before it's too late? Right, Starring on. Paris Stilton as her eponymous <laughs> heroine Zola. And Arnold Schwarzenegger as the curse. Kurt is 1995's The Curse of... Gorgonzola. <laughs> this is fucking incredible. This is the best week ever. This is the best week ever. Michael Park. Oh, what? Jesus. Yes, fresh from appearing on the show, now getting a pitch in. He's as he a attends, a... Bastard. he is, isn't he? <laughs> as she attends a carnival with her new husband John, Jane kills a lion, visits the hypnotist, dead, and her life is forever changed. Falling under the spell of an inscrutable evil, she becomes an instrument of death for her captor, brutally murdering those who mock and upset him. As if that wasn't bad enough, the hypnotist has designs on her heart and uses his heinous hypnosis to get Jane into the bedroom. It's 1967's erotic romp, The Cabinet of Dr. Cunnilingus. <laughs> uh, C.P. Buckley getting in touch? Gee, is this another serious one? Um, less so. Right, time. okay, cool. On the night of her 18th birthday, Lisa Pelisa is taken from her home by her family and brought to an old manor house to celebrate. Once there, she finds out her parents are worshippers of an ancient hydra-like demonic god called Menihedatinus. <laughs> she must fight to escape the ritual and her demon-worshipping parents in the 1981 classic The Many Heads of Menihedatinus. <laughs> <laughs> oh Tony Constantino. Sal was the man with everything, a lucrative career in surrealist art, an incredible moustache and a dark secret. He occasionally murders sexy ladies. But one fateful day, when he accidentally dilutes his paints with holy water, Sal's worlds collide as he finds his latest piece imbued with the virtuous spirit of St. Anthony. Now the patron saint of lost things has come to claim Sal's soul and rain Catholic judgment upon his innocent loved ones for some reason in the 1979 art exploitation disaster piece, Salvador Dalia, Portrait of a Serial Killer. <laughs> Clever. <laughs> And breathe. That concludes Mitch's pitches, or indeed the listener pitches for this week. So, uh, yes. Well done, everyone. Slow, uh, yeah, slow clap required across the board. An there. That absolutely was fantastic. impossibly high standard this week. Well done to everyone. And apologies to anyone whose pitch I didn't read. We had an unbelievable amount this week. Yeah, keep that up, man. That's fucking unbelievable. That's incredible. So, um, I've got an incredibly difficult job ahead of me then it would appear you have two incredibly di- difficult jobs ahead of you uh, best character name and best pitch uh, best character name is going to the, the snake god Mabobi of course uh, <laughs> and I think I'm going to give it's simple it works it's just right I think I need to give it to uh, Laura Bynan Glenn or Cthulhu <laughs> very good indeed I like the fact that you don't always give the prize to the most ambitious one or the longest one or the most multi-layered one. Sometimes it is something punchy that does the job. Like any that James Plum's ever put. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, it's my turn now. Yeah. Uh, you ready? Uh, yeah, sure. Fire away. Here it comes. Uh, yeah, there you go. Okay. 
Okay, so um, like you've been now you've been going for what I would term as being like fairly busy images in the last little while, and this one's a little bit simpler. Yeah, I mean, I would say this one's incredibly simple. In yeah, fact. it's pretty simple. Yeah, like so, there's there, like there's no border for a start. Uh, it's just a <laughs> it's just a black background. I could have and, added one. Yeah, to really give you something else to talk about. Right, it's just it's just a black background, and all that you can see is a face that I'm gonna say is a woman's face. Sure, certainly <laughs> feminine features, I would say, and uh, wearing sunglasses. And uh, has some visible uh, fangs on her top row of teeth as well. Uh-huh. I am also like, so you can't really see what her hairstyle is like. <laughs> okay. but, but, but I'm mentally framing it as an afro. Right, okay, 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 okay. Can you see that? Yeah, I can see why you might and, see that. Okay. Uh, yeah, and two kind of long fingernailed fingers are scratching through the front of the kind of the black background. Or the foreground, I guess it must be. If mm-hmm. right. But yeah, that's yeah, like hands are tearing through the poster, effectively, or that's the effect they're going for. Uh, two fingers, uh, two nails painted red. Yeah, uh, scraped through those. So yeah. very, very simple image. Uh, uh, sunglass wearing fanged woman scratching through the front of the poster. Sure. Yeah, you've you've had all the all the key points. Okay, I will need a moment. Yeah. This is a weird one. Yeah, like it's it's almost like too simple. Did you find us more difficult than something that's absolutely filled with nonsense? Yeah, I have to I have to extrapolate a lot. Right. Okay. Like, mm-hmm. see that see that thing that I said about the afro. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> How are you getting on though? Um, almost there. I think this is similar to the the pictures thing. I don't always have to go for the most complex. No. No, image. I agree. Right, I've got something to go with this. Uh, okay. Okay. The year is 1977 and disco fever is in full swing. <laughs> oh my god. When mild-mannered introverted teenager Madeline Wallflower moves to a new town, she sets out to make friends, but her mysterious, strict religious upbringing forbids her from joining her friends at the local disco. In outright defiance of her parents, she sneaks out one night to dance the night away, but little does she know that her mum and dad's strict opposition to it was more than just cautious parenting. As her religious values are contravened, the disco is beset by the vengeful demon Baccarat, who is out for vengeance against those who tempted Madeline from the path of righteousness. Flares, scares, and giant hair abound in 1979's Disco Inferno, Earth, Wind, Fire, and Brimstone. you think? I, no, the year was 1977. I had the film in 1979. Oh, right, okay. Sorry, yes. Uh, the actual year is 1985. Okay. And the film is The Howling 2. Okay. Yeah, also known as Your Sister is a Werewolf <laughs> or Sturba, Werewolf Bitch. Starring Sybil Daring and uh, Christopher, a very confused-looking Christopher Lee. Frankly, not even confused, an embarrassed-looking Christopher Lee. Uh, yeah, this film is an absolute riot. Do you have a synopsis for it? <laughs> you bet I do. And Cut. more to the point. It's sadly not the same gentleman from last week, because he was fucking amazing. Oh, fucking Lieutenant Sergeant, or whatever his name was. <laughs> Uh, this is coming in from Matt Dotsonroth. Okay, Matt Dotsonroth. Um, okay, lay it on me. After countless millennia of watching, waiting, and stalking, the unholy creatures known as werewolves are poised to inherit the earth. Oh. After newswoman Karen White's shocking on-screen transformation and violent death, obviously at the end of the howling, uh, her brother Ben is approached by Stefan Crosco, a mysterious gentleman who claims that Karen has actually become a werewolf. But this is the least of their worries. 
To save mankind, Stefan and Ben must travel to Transylvania to battle and destroy Styrba, the immortal queen of all werewolves, before she is restored to her full powers. <laughs> Excellent. Is that any good? Uh, no, it's garbage. It's hot I... garbage, but uh, I love it so, so fucking much. Excellent. Uh, yeah, and there's an amazing Blu-ray out for, for some reason from Arrow Video. I love <laughs> the fact these things are getting these kind of revivals. Oh, 100%, man. Uh, some of the... Uh, I've got some films up there that Arrow Video are putting out that I never expected to have such a highfalutin Version package. Like, that's really, cool. That's, that's, yeah, that, that that's fucking awesome. amazing. Yeah. Okay, so um, a quick look at the streaming platforms, and I say quick, a lot of stuff going on this week. Okay. Um, of varying qualities. <laughs> so, um, I Shudder first, and um, this came out this past week, but we did mention last week that there was going to be a surprise film dropping in Shutter UK on the 12th definitely bears mentioning that that film turned out to be um, Isita Lopez's Tigers Are Not Afraid I feel like I already knew that that's what it was going to be I, I feel like that was a surprise to no one I knew it was I knew that it was certainly coming to Shudder yeah. so uh, yeah it didn't it didn't shock me but it did make me very happy because um, a lot of people who have been really wanting to see this film for a long time with good reason it is Absolutely amazing. If this you're not... might have been my opportunity to see it if I hadn't caught it at Celluloid last year. Yeah. Remember, I missed it everywhere. Yeah, you missed it a bunch of times, <laughs> didn't you? Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, it is a film from Masita Lopez. Uh, it is a, a haunting fairy tale set against the backdrop of Mexico's drug wars. Yeah, and it's fucking awesome. It's absolutely brilliant. It really is so great. Um, a couple other things coming to Shudder this week. Preservation on the 16th, which I think I saw at Fright Fest like five years ago. Right. Uh, a woman must awaken her survival instincts when she and her family are stalked by hunters inside a nature reserve. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, uh, I I remember not being too hot on this. Uh, also on the 16th, uninhabited vacationers discover the island they thought was deserted is inhabited by a vengeful ghost. Right. Um, and on the 19th, um, a big one for some people, um, Hell House LLC 3. Okay, I uh, didn't even know there was a second one. Oh yeah, yeah. I think Shudder has them all. The Abaddon Hotel once again reopens as Russell Wynn takes his audience interactive show Insomnia inside the allegedly haunted hotel. Sky Cinema then, a couple of things there. Um, on the 19th, we've got a film called Gnaw. Okay. The most complete synopsis I could find for that was that six friends are gradually served up while on vacation. Okay, yeah. So right, take what you okay. from that. But that's available thing? from Thursday. Uh, presumably a cannibal thing, yeah. Um, also, added to Sky, but I think this bears a mention, added to Sky box sets on the 16th of September, Sharp Objects. Oh, uh, right, okay. Brilliant. Amy Adams and Patricia Clarkson uh, in this intriguing dark psychological thriller about surface appearances and hidden truths based on the novel by Gone Girl's Gillian Flynn. Yes, and coming from Blum. House. Very true, yes, worth a mention as well. Amazon Prime, nothing new this week, but you did spot that last week had the addition of Rocksteady Row. Yeah, yeah, also pretty great. Yeah, um, a nice, nice lean, fun, uh, really punchy, stylish film. Uh, that is, um, a college freshman is compelled to take action against the ruling fraternities and the dean after his bike is stolen. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's it. I can't, I can't, I really, really like that film as well. We saw it together at Friday. We did Fest. watch it together. Um, yeah. Also saw it closing uh, Soho Horror Festival last year as oh, well. Of course you did, um, Netflix has a couple of things on the 19th that has, uh, first off, Happy Death Day. All right, okay. Um, which I I have been pretty vocal on this podcast, I believe, about how much I like Happy Death Day. You have indeed. Um, a college girl must relive the day of her death over and over in a cycle that will only end when she discovers her killer's identity. And also on the nineteenth, less of a good reputation coming with this one. It is a uh, John Aldi Linkvist's The Snowman. Whoever <laughs> Fassbender plays Harry Hole. Detective Harry Hole investigates the murder of a woman whose scarf is found wrapped around the neck of an ominous looking snowman. Two hours long, this one is. Yeah, it's, um, it's also dog shit. It's notoriously, uh, it's notoriously bad, apparently. I haven't seen it. Um, whether I'll make time for it on Netflix or not, I don't know. I'm quite busy right now. No, I was compelled to watch it. Yeah, I kind of feel like I'm, I kind of feel like it's one of those things I've heard so much about it. 
um, and people who are involved in it coming out and telling their stories of uh, why it ended up the way it did and stuff like that. As you know, I've got a little bit of a kind of uh, morbid fascination with Trouble Productions. Yes. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I might get stuck into that. It's a really, really good week for new stuff, as yeah. you can see there. Yeah. I'm not going to pick Tigers Are Not Afraid as the pick because it was technically last week. Right. So I think that uh, with that in mind, I would say personally... I'm going to shout up for Happy Death Day. I'm going to say uh, Rocksteady Row. Cool. Go and get Rocksteady Row. Yeah, both great. Check them out. Rocksteady Row available now on Amazon Prime and uh, Happy Death Day dropping Thursday on Netflix. Excellent. Thank you, Mitchell. So let's turn our attentions to this week's show. <laughs> I can't wait for this I was going to say, now, I, uh, I, I, I was the one that started the guest this week. Sure, yeah, yeah. So... Obviously, I was the one that got first look at the uh, the film choice as well. Sure. And then obviously, I go back and okay it with you. And if we're both happy with it, then we go with it. This, I would say, is the fastest you have ever replied. Being like, yes. <laughs> I've actually been waiting on someone to pick this film for quite a long time. And okay. I'm amazed it's taken us 71 episodes for that to happen. And who has finally done it? Well, it's a double guest situation. Oh, it's been a while since we had one of those. It has been, yeah. I think the last one might have been uh, Rebecca and Dave McKendry. I possibly. think it might have been. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they are the directors and writers of the Fright Fest selection, The Wretched. Yeah. And also the 2011 film Deadheads. It's Brett and Drew Pierce. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> what film are they going for? Uh, Incidentally, can I just say? Five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's uh, it's gone up. Oh really? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. That's uh, this is a film that was made in 1991 mm-hmm. at a time when Dan Aykroyd had obviously lost his fucking mind. Okay. Um, yeah, and it stars Dan Aykroyd. Also stars Chevy Chase, Debbie Moore, John Candy. It's nothing but trouble. Nothing but trouble. Oh man, this is gonna be fucking amazing. I was gonna say you're delighted. Honestly. I can't wait. This film's min- fucking crazy. The minute that you said it, because um, I was messaging Brett and you were online as well. And he was just like, oh, we both really like Nothing But Trouble. <laughs> and inevitably, I was like, cool, never heard of it. Um, sure. So Googled it, was like, oh, 1991, Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, 5% Rotten Tomatoes. He was like, yep, that's the one. And I was like, I'm just going to check with Andy. And literally, I messaged it. And ten, the, in the time it took you to type it, literally, it was like 10 seconds. I just got a message back saying, amazing choice. Yeah, well done, sir. 5.1 out of 10 on IMDb. That's, that's not so bad. That's not so bad. It's funny that its IMDb score is the same as its Rotten Tomatoes percentage. <laughs> Five. <laughs> Right, sure. <laughs> so, Brett and Drew Pierce, the directors of The Wretched and Deadheads, join us this week to talk nothing but trouble. How are you feeling about that? Get in touch with us and let us know. Loads of ways you can do that, of course. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC, and you can also, of course, email Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com with your comments, with your musical interlude recordings, with your <laughs> listener choice suggestions, with your Mitch's pitches selections, and much, much, much more. We also have a website. We do have a website, Mitch, and it's great that you reminded me of that. It's strongviolentpod.com, and if you go on to strongviolentpod.com, right there on the homepage, you'll find a non-exhaustive list of podcast providers. You sure will. Yes, but what I would say is, please check out Podbean, because they are our home, our hosts, and it's nice to see that a few other podcasts from people that we know that have uh, sprung up since we started this little endeavour are also using Podbean. And yes. I would like to think that that was because we've sung their praises so much. We do do it every week, but that's because they keep on earning it we are back this friday talking nothing but trouble with brett and drew pierce join us then if you can in the meantime don't forget it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds goodbye bye thank you guys you've been listening to strong language and violent scenes with andy stewart and mitch bain 
Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain, production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. 